This is episode number 265. What have been the major transitions in your life with Casey Berman and Scott Mason? Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Outs podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements. First one being an invitation to our weekly conversation called Survive to Thrive, Live the Story You Create. What this is, is a series of conversations that take place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time that are hosted through LinkedIn or Facebook Live, where we explore the connection between one's personal narrative and the topics of appreciation, resilience, grief, gratitude, and many others. If you are interested in joining us for any of these upcoming conversations, please visit our website at overcomingodds.today where you'll be able to find the latest details regarding our upcoming conversation and ways you can join it. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our work, and that is if our show has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our mission by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can hear these inspiring and courageous conversations. Now, let's get back to the show. There they are. Great to be here. The two, the two characters that have been a part of my major transition in life. <laughs> it is good to be part of your transitions, and you have certainly been here through mine as well. So both of y'all, actually, it's appreciated. No, I appreciate, I appreciate both of you, and I appreciate Jessica for tuning in yesterday and then also tuning in today. Mm-hmm. You know, this topic, it's been interesting for me to think about, and I don't know if the two of you or anyone else experienced experiences this, but when we schedule the show a week in advance, I can't help but think about that topic literally the whole week. <laughs> there are times where I'll catch myself just thinking about the question, what have been the major transitions in my life? And how do I know that I have, quote unquote, gone out of transition or maybe I'm still stuck in it? So I figured that the best way to maybe even start off this conversation is go a little bit into our own personal narrative and personal stories. And that is what have been the major transitions in your life? that you can recall to this point. <clears throat> and if that question is not uh, difficult enough to begin with, what made them major? How do you know that one is major compared to a minor one, for example? Which one of you would like to get the ball rolling and then transition on to the next one? Go ahead, Scott. I don't always need to go first, Casey. You're the one who built a whole business around your transition. (laughs) But I'm just saying. (laughs) It's true. That's true. Okay, so I'll go. So (laughs) I 
So I'll view this. I'm 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 rereading uh, Michael Singer's uh, Untethered Soul, like which I know I know you've read, on um, and um, Scott, if you haven't, I think you'd enjoy it. And so I think there's an element of us that never transitions, and then there's an element of us that always transitions, right? <clears throat> so before I get into the transitions briefly, I just want to say that there is that that observer that Michael Singer talks about, it's the observer of our thoughts. And if you think of moving out concentric circles, you know, the observer, then there's our thoughts and then there's our feelings. And then, then there's form, um, which is a car, you guys, a computer form. Right. And so there's always someone in there. So if we said, well, you know, I'm Casey Berman and I'm in kindergarten, I'm Casey Berman and I'm 10 years old. I'm Casey Berman the husband of Lillian, I'm Casey Berman, the father, you know, when we say, who are you? Those are just where we are in those stages, but who we are is always that, that core, right? That, that observer of all this, again, it goes to, to your nature, to God, to, to what, whatever you want to call it. So that observer is never transitioning, right? It just, it is, it just observes. Um, that's the kingdom in heaven, like Jesus talks about. That's Buddha. That's Nirvana. That that's that's all of that. So I just wanted to say that down. That there's an element of us, whether we realize it or not, that that is just always there. Which in many ways is very boring and also very beautiful, right? So then, if I go to form, if I kind of come into the matrix as we've talked about, I think my transitions. If you think of a transition as changing from one state to another, mm-hmm. if we know that there's an element of me that is the the all source, whatever word you want to use, that's never transitioning, then there's part of me that's in form, in this body, in this identity, this narrative, like you said, Oleg, that does have these transitions. And that's fine. Because I think the beauty of, of our life here is that you can have one foot in the mystic, in the mystical, and one foot in reality, right? Like you need to get stuff done. We can't just sit around and opine on God all days. You got to pay your bills, right? Mm-hmm. So, and that's fine. And so my transitions, uh, what Scott was talking about is when I left, when I left the, uh, being a lawyer and moved on to something else. But I think for me, the, the major transition for me was if I had to focus on one was, I mean, there's having kids, there's getting married, there's my bar mitzvah, there's moving out of the house, there's all that. And there's still more transitions, right? I think the major transition for me was it was in my daughter was born in 07. So it was kind of right, right before she was born. So kind of early 07 and through the year of 07, due in large part to her being born, but also that's when I think I really saw that the emperor has no clothes. That's when I think I shifted and realized that the the hamster wheel I was on and part of the, this is what led to leave law behind the hamster wheel that I was on was there was something more to it. Mm-hmm. And one example was I'll never forget. I read the New York times for years. I would get the paper copy. I like to have it over breakfast. And in the top corner, it says all the news that's fit to print. And I think for many of my life, I just, and it just hit me. I said, no, there's more news out there. There's other stuff out there. So for me, I think the major transition singular in my life was around 2007 when there was just, it had come earlier, but this voice, this tickle that there's more that I just need to peek up 
Um, it hit me around then. It coincided with my daughter's birth for many obvious reasons, but it, it had been coming also. And I think that was the major transition in my life. I, I at, at, you know, had left the law. I had kind of scrapped a lot of very stable, secure, professional career corporate paths. And I, and I went, which, and I went on a journey, which I'm, which I'm still on this process. So um, I'll pause there, but I think that's how I view it. And, and if I really had to peg one shift of state, it was, it was that time in 07 when I realized I was kind of more than a body and there's something else here. It made, made life more difficult, made life more confusing mm -hmm. and get brought up so many more questions for me, but it was kind of um, unavoidable. I had to do it. What was it like becoming a dad? So becoming a dad gives, requires laser focus and you literally have to push so much out of your life because you don't have the time for it. And something, sometimes you don't care about it. Now you want broad spotlight focus on life. Cause if we're taught to have laser focus, the saber tooth tiger is in the bushes, don't die, run away you know, what your boss wants, just get that. So in many ways, laser focus is not necessarily, we, we also want spotlight focus so that we can kind of see everything. It's a, it's a good mix of both in life. I think the world is too laser focused and that leads to a lot of anxiety and, and, and our issues because we're so laser focused on things and we lose the bigger picture. That being said, when you have a dad, I mean, you, you are fully responsible for this living being. It is so ludicrous that <laughs> that we're not taught more of it. And I mean, people are just not fully ready to have children and they're having them as we know. Mm -hmm. And it's, um, so I, I think becoming a dad, you, it changes everything. If you want to be responsible, caring, giving, loving, connected parent, if you don't, it doesn't change as much because you keep focusing. But my wife and I both you know, wanted and continue to want to have that relationship with our children. Um, but it, it, it really, you, you prioritize, mm -hmm. you prioritize. So. Mr. Mason. The point I want to make is somewhat driven by and aligned with the remark Jessica made at 1157. Mm -hmm. And I would even take it a little bit deeper than that. The biggest transition in my life, and I don't remember the exact date or time when it happened, but it was a profound one, was when I realized on a meta level that leaning into transition, taking my life and approaching it as an adventure was something that was fundamental to who I am with the ups and the downs and the sideways and the craziness and the questioning and the uncertainty. All of those were part of who and what I was. And I say that that acceptance was a transition because where I grew up, I grew up in a conservative part of the country. So almost inherently, transition was something that was resisted in the community that I grew up in. Otherwise, it wouldn't be conservative. Number two, the, the parental or the familial situation that I grew up in were, was one in which, at least professionally, 
transition was not something that really happened. My father switched jobs from one state agency to another. Okay. My mother worked for the same dog food factory basically through all of my childhood until the day she retired. So there were and and her, yes, her job switched slightly in one way or another, but it really wasn't anything other than a trivial transition when you think about the big picture of things. And so, and, and in a way, it makes sense that, yes, I was interested in public policy and ultimately ended up working in government. And I switched government jobs and escalated and transitioned. But a lot of times when you're in a small bubble, what can seem like big transitions are actually quite small. Once mm -hmm. you do what Casey mentioned earlier, which is step outside of the matrix, lift up your head a little bit and peek and see uh, at least a tiny glimpse of the bigger world. And leaving that government safety net was not just leaving, and it wasn't a safety net really, it was an illusion of a safety net from a professional perspective, was really a trapdoor that led into a whole other spaces of different places that my life would meet, would go to. A profession is such an integral part of my self-definition that that itself um, represented a major disruption, but really what it represented was the opening of a door to a new self-identity. And that was the self-identity of someone that needed to learn and grow and change. Mm -hmm. And then I went to the nonprofit world. I didn't go into it in that sort of, with that sort of mentality about that I had with the city, which is, this is where I'll be. I even viewed that, viewed that as a transitional job from the day I walked in. And then the business that I co-owned afterwards and where I'm at now, constantly states of transition. There are down days. I have shared some of that with folks on the show, and I have shared some of the downs with you two, as well mm -hmm. as people that I'm close to and who have shown love and support consistently. But I'm still committed to the ongoing process of the transition. What was horrible, looking back on it, about that time in government was that I let myself believe that I could live a life without transition, or at least transitions that were nominal and that I was comfortable with. And so developing the identity, developing the meta perspective of myself as someone that embraces transition, that goes into them, again, that doesn't mean there aren't bad days or ups and downs with them but is that essential to who I am, was the major transition. The relationship that I have with my husband, I love him to pieces. And we've been together over 23 years at this point, and he ain't going anywhere, at least if I have anything to do with it. <laughs> However, one thing that I have embraced, I don't know that I embrace this, but one thing that I've accepted, which is that even that, is something that will eventually face a transition. Mm -hmm. One of us will die first, or if I can really lucky, will die at the same time. The other, if the if it's me, I will have to leave my husband to rebuild a life without me. From my perspective, even worse than that, if he were to go first, I would have to transition into a life alone. And that may be when it happens, if it happens, the biggest transition of all. But it is something that I understand and can build resilience around due to that. The willingness to embrace transition and view myself as a traveler, an adventurer who goes through the ups and downs, not only gives me some undergirding of resilience, 
but it also gives me the flexibility of identity to be in a position where the possibilities, opportunities are infinitely wider, where I'm allowed to explore the full range of what the universe may bring to me, what the surrendering to its intentions that Michael Singer mentioned in another book uh, have have to offer. So the major transition in my life has not been as much any specific external or lived experience, but the transition from within, the shift in who and what I view my journey as and what its possibilities contain. Do either of you find yourself in situations where there are transitions that you fear stepping into more than others? And if so, what are those? The death of my husband. If it were to happen, which is, again, I would say it's a 30-30-30 possibility. Mm-hmm. Either we're going to die together, he'll die first, or I'll die first. Mm-hmm. But that transition, if it's him, he is older than I am. He's in extraordinary health and knowing his family, he'll probably live at least 120. But there's at least a non-discountable possibility that he will be the one who passes away first. That's a transition that terrifies <clears throat> me. Mm-hmm. It does. There's no other way to describe it. Mm-hmm. Casey? I mean, I... Death, obviously, of of loved ones is scary. But I don't know if there's... Nothing really comes to mind mm-hmm. transition that I'm, that I'm scared of right now. Um, I mean, yeah. I was just thinking about it, and the reason why I asked is because this morning I was taking a walk, and I was thinking about the um, endurance and how much in an average individual actually takes over a course of a lifetime when it comes to different transitions, or even on this subject of death. I mean, I've I'm only 28, and I've already I've experienced quite a few transitions as far as people coming in or beings coming in and out of my life. And then it made me think about my parents. My parents have gone through two dogs that I know, maybe more, like multiple animals. I know that there were some cats as well that passed. And it's, it's, for me, it's just a really interesting topic as far as how much an individual is, I don't know if willing is the right word, but in the case of this context maybe gets the message across like willing to endure over a course of a lifetime you know like the number of transitions i mean beings come into my life i don't know if the, the two casey i think you have a dog no dog a lot of pets here at the house yeah okay. the big dog scott i know that you don't have an animal um but i think you had an animal right when you were younger i'm the animal <laughs> <laughs> don't y'all forget it <laughs> But I will say that having had animals um, in a household at the same time that I've been, there's an emotional bond that gets created. And that transition, at least for me, it was difficult. It, it was a hard one to let go. That's why I was asking the two of you that question. I know for me, when one of our dogs, uh, Derby, had passed, that this was a dog I was introduced to when I first came to the States. And I think he lived until... I don't remember. I think it was end of my high school years, so six or seven years. 
uh, he lived up to 13, 13, 14 years old, something like that. And that was a hard one. That was a hard transition to face because I had developed such a connection with him. And I experienced the same thing with Caleb or, you know, when my grandpa passed, they're just, it's just interesting to me. I think how these transitions really help shift or can help shift the perspective and develop a greater appreciation for life and some of these other things. I will share a personal, mm -hmm. the story of someone who I have known for a long time who can perhaps address this. And in a way it ties into Jessica's comment about becoming a parent is for her every time a new transition basically is what that says. Mm -hmm. There's someone that I worked with right out of law school who was an investigator and he was of Liberian descent. He came here to the United States to escape civil wars that were happening there. And he was from a small, relatively small village, if I recall correctly. And he was one of the first, if not the first member of his family to leave Liberia and build a new life in New York City. And he liked it. He felt it was safer. He felt it was more secure. America offers opportunity, all this sort of stuff. And so he attempted to persuade his family members to leave with him or to come to follow him. And some of them did, maybe one did, but the overwhelming numbers of them were like, no, we want to stay here. This is our country. We're not going to leave. Well, the village that they lived in got surrounded by rebels during the course of one of the civil wars and it burnt to the ground and everyone that attempted to flee got shot. He lost his entire family. After that, and this was all, by the way, within a two-year period that I worked with him. Wow. He got mugged on the streets and stabbed in the eye. And then after that, he had a fire in the apartment building that he lived in. And one of his two sons became afraid. And he, and I think he was out to dinner with his wife. There was a babysitter there. And so the son, to protect himself, hid in the dryer and died. All this within two years. He lost his child and every member of his family. His wife didn't psychologically make it through. She had a, a nervous breakdown from what I understood. The transition in relationships that he endured from his wife's nervous breakdown to the loss of a son and the violent, horrific death by either burning or, or shooting of his entire family is a transition that I can't even imagine. Mm -hmm. The amazing thing about this person was his positive attitude. He still came to work every day. He still was cheerful. He still smiled. He still rebuilt his life. I saw him years after this happened and he was as positive and engaging and selfless as ever. Inside, I can't imagine that it didn't tear him up and that he didn't leave a different person. But in some ways, Casey, he wasn't in transition too, as you mentioned, who and what he was at his core remained the same. <clears throat> Although I also am loath to believe that his life ever really could be the same either. It's too much. Mm -hmm. How much can someone endure? That to me, if the resilience is there, if the strength of the positivity of mindset and who knows a whole other host of things is there, they can endure everything. Because to me, to lose a child and your entire family while you're getting stabbed in the eye would be losing everything. Mm -hmm. You said the word endure, Oleg, and before Scott's 
uh, <laughs> before that story, the the because I'm going to sound flippant here, which I don't mean to, but you know, the question I had was, why do we associate endure with transition, with change? Mm-hmm. And I think there's a programming, there's a belief that if something changes, it's difficult. Um, and then Scott went to tell the story about the most difficult changes one anyone could ever face. So I don't want to sound like a, a flippant D-bag uh, after that story. So please don't look at me that way. But if you, but this person, this brave, courageous person who did not need to be positive, and I hope was able to speak with someone and to surface these emotions and to face the fears. I hope he had that support. Sounds like he did, or just had that inner strength. But even in that situation, or whether it's a change that your dog passes away, or whether it's a change in job, or whether it's a lawyer like I help at Leave Law Behind to shift from the identity, the professional identity they've only known to a new one. Why is that transition something we need to endure? Mm-hmm. And it's a rhetorical question. I'm not sure I have an answer. I think if I were to opine on an answer, it's that change is celebrated for those who are successful with it. Entrepreneurs, people who make money, people who change careers, people who 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 are in the spotlight. But I think change and transition is something that's hushed up or not necessarily encouraged. Um, get the job, work 30 years, get the gold watch like Scott's parents. I mean, that is something which I know is shifting a little bit, but the idea of security, and I think that really comes to us wanting protection mm-hmm. as people, as a society, as a culture, and, and as an earth. I think we all, not the earth itself, the people on the earth, You know, I think there's a real, and it makes sense, we wanna survive. Mm-hmm. But we're not thriving to go to the the title of this show. I think we're surviving, but we're protecting. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have just ho-hum jobs. And, and so I just want to bring up that transition need not always be associated with endure. Um, as we can see in, in the person, the person that Scott mentioned, he endured through it, but I think he also embraced it. And I think he, he moved on with it and he accepted it and was able to, to, um, you know, make the change. And maybe he understood that that was the transition he needed to go through. He, he should go through, he wanted to go through. And that's why he was here. So I just throw out that endure. And so for me in my normal life, you know, my wife, I, I can work anywhere and we homeschool our kids. Uh, their education is remote. We were doing that before COVID. And so on a, on a much less, serious uh level you know my wife and i've talked about and we're doing it uh, getting houses across the globe and going going traveling somewhere and living elsewhere for a month or so and you know it's scary let's go live somewhere for a month think about what how do we board the dog do we bring the dog how much can, can we afford it can and what about this will we get bored will it be safe there and all of that you know, and those are transitions that we're making in our life that that we endure. And then I just said, it's, why am I enduring this? Why don't I celebrate it? So I just wanted to posit that thought. I think it's a great point. And here's what it made me think of. I think even in regard to the concept of major transitions or major, major changes that I have gone through throughout my own life, 
what I have realized myself doing is only celebrating or only acknowledging the transition once it has hit its completion, but not really taking the time to understand, well, how do I show up during the process? How do Mm -hmm. I show up leading up to a quote unquote major Mm -hmm. transition? And I think you bring up a really good point, Casey, because see, for me, and I'll be curious if the same is true for the two of you and Jessica and everyone else that's tuning in right now, but I was so focused for many chapters of my life on the end result. I was so focused on that, that cycle completing itself, and then I celebrate. Then I can kind of you know yeah. get, up, get, get up from under the, the water and get a grasp of air. What I started to realize recently, and Scott, you actually helped me realize this when we were doing that exercise where the one that Casey and I started where we broke down the different topics and themes and you had said you made, you made a remark about there's something about transitions. There's something about the questions that you ask within that category that mm-hmm. is a lot more in-depth, thought-provoking in many of these mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And I took that to heart because – and I thought about it for many days afterwards – because I think it's something that my life has been, but yet I focused on the other aspect of it. Now, I'm not going to blame myself for not knowing what I didn't know because I just I didn't know it back then. Now I know better. Now I understand the process that learning could also occur prior, throughout, and after versus so- solely the other end. And so that's where I think that's what kind of brought up in my mind as far as when you were talking about Casey is why is change or why are transitions major, minor, whatever way you want to look at it, not celebrated until they're completed is because I think in my opinion, there might be a lack of understanding. I think there's a lack of understanding of what does it actually mean to be in transition and what can, what can the transition itself you said a very important word, which is process. Mm-hmm. And Mark Manson, if you see him at markmanson.net, he's got a great blog and just such an insightful writer. He, His definition of happiness is the process of becoming your ideal self. Mm-hmm. And I think too often we don't use the word process for life or happiness or achievement, but we use the word journey to your mm-hmm. point. And then there's an end state. And you know, someone told me if, you, if you're going on a on a trip to Hawaii and the goal is just to get the trip done, well, if you're in San Francisco, you're going to fly to Hawaii. You might as well just stay in San Francisco because that's the end of the trip. You're going to return to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Like, why go on the trip if all you're worried about or thinking about is is getting to the end, right? Obviously, you don't want to just get to the end. You want the process. You want to see what happens. You want to explore, hopefully. And so when you think about life as a process, you just really realize that there is no end state. There is no journey. There's yeah. there's nothing to grab. It, you're just, you're learning and you're becoming better and you're sinking with things and you're just aligning. Now, process is a horribly boring word. Nobody <laughs> likes process. Journey is beautiful. I mean, imagine the Hobbit or imagine Luke Skywalker going on a process, right? Like, oh, <laughs> Imagine a movie. They work for the city, they might. Yeah, right. But imagine adventure movies being called, this is a thrilling process movie. Like, what? A work in progress. Right. You know, but if you think about it, that's what life is. Like, learn Mm -hmm. something, apply it, 
feel better about, feel fear, then feel better about it, rinse and repeat, right? And so I think journey is fine. We get what we all mean by it. But really one thing that I've tried to internalize is that there's nowhere to be. There's nowhere to get to being in the moment, but I understand it's a process. So like when I started sitting, you mentioned we're here for almost a year on this podcast. Was there anywhere to be? Like, do we do a year's worth of episodes and then that's it? Like, when do we ring the bell? And I realized that this was just a process for me. I enjoy speaking. I enjoy listening. I wanted to connect with you two. I, I didn't know what other things this would open up for me selfishly. I didn't know what other things, how I could help people. But it I knew that this podcast was a part of the process of just my growth, of just my healing, of just my development, of just my learning, right? Mm -hmm. There's really no end. Uh, and so that's something when you think of transition that way around, around endure, I, 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 you brought it up. There's no end state Oleg. There's really no journey. It's more of a process like you brought up. And, um, I think it's beautiful. Now Madison Avenue doesn't like it because they can't sell us anything. Yeah. Right. They can sell us a Lexus because that's the end of the journey. Whoo, I got my Lexus. Now I'm cool. They can sell us things like that, but a process, well, what are you going to sell someone to get them excited about a process? Mm -hmm. So I get the whole journey and, and I'm fine. I use the, the J word in life as well. But for me, really process is something that's, that's, that's helped me, um, in, in being the moment and, and, and help me just continue. I mean, a process just keeps going. Mm -hmm. so I'll stop there. Scott, how do you show up in a, in a transition? I was actually really glad you said that earlier. That was something I hadn't really thought about. And being personal here, I'm going through a transition myself right now. And that's a conversation that was actually behind some recent conversations that you and I have had offline. And that I realized when you said that, am I showing up in my transition optimally? Am I leveraging every single thing that I did or that I can do to show up in that process? So for those of you all who are in the audience and would have no reason to know this, I have an accountability partner. I won't say who that person is. Hmm. Actually, it's people. I won't say who those people are. But every week I meet with those accountability partners. And when I met with the accountability partners most recently, one of the things I said was that there's a mantra that I need to be saying to myself as I'm going this to this transition, because I realized this morning and last night as I was facing some challenges in my process that I, especially after listening to you, Oleg, I wasn't showing up as I needed to, perhaps, and I would say even probably not always showing up is, is itself part of the process. Learning how to pull yourself up and turn your mental state around so that you can really engage in the process is part of my adventure. Mm -hmm. I actually, after hearing that, Casey, tend to agree with you regarding the term journey. It does imply an end. I'm more aligned with the word adventure, though, because that doesn't necessarily have an ending. And it yeah. embraces the ups and downs, which is something that despite not showing up in the process in the way that I would like to all the time, is still something that I accept as a fundamental part of who I am at my core. So I like that. I, 
Adventure is like a sexy process. Yeah, I like that. Well, yeah, exactly. And it's accepting the fact that some processes are, and if it is boring, I will also just call it a process. But, <laughs> but you know, you know, look, just sort of digressing for a second and then going back to the main point, David and I were on a uh, uh, trip to Denmark one time and due to currency issues and our miscalculations of the time and jet lag and all these things, we were somewhere and we got lost and we missed our transportation and all of this sort of chaos happened. And that was when we agreed that together we needed to view our trips together as adventures because that was really the best way for us to unite around what was happening and accept it and enjoy it and really learn from it as opposed to viewing it purely as a place of frustration. The transition I'm in now, I've been a lot of my ups and downs in this leg of the adventure has been the frustration leg. And am I responding this morning when I finally drag my ass out of bed, which was not showing up like I needed to, I did spend some time very vehemently in my bathroom, you know, in front of the mirror, repeating my mantra with every bit of vigor and energy. And I had, I had, and that was able to get me to this accountability group that I have earlier and be able to better show up. It's a self-discipline that I will be more conscious of leaving this conversation and surviving and thriving and an attitude of gratitude that ties into everything that this show is about today. Mm -hmm. Lori brought up a really good point that I wanted to just bring up. I think it's there are a lot of profound things mm. um, as well as what you shared, Scott. But in here, I find this question of what is the initiator that activates your major transitions? And the connection that she makes is to you know trauma, whether it's related to death, illness, divorce, or other situations. And I'm curious to hear your perspectives on it because – I can't say that I've thought about that before. Yeah. What a wonderful question. You know, it jumped, it's a great question. And thank you, Lori. And what jumped out to me was, is it better that we decide to take on those changes before it is forced upon us? And there's a saying, which I'm going to butcher, which is a little morbid, but, but you get it. But which is, um, for me, it really comes down to fear mm -hmm. and we don't want to face our fears. And, but if you know where the dragon is, and you know where the dragon den is better to face the dragon in the den and slay it mm -hmm. or, or just mitigate it, reduce it, than have the dragon have to fight the dragon when it's coming at your village in full force. Right. And if the dragon is our fear, it's better now to shine a light on it. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm a nice guy. So I don't know if I need to slay my fears and fears are energy <laughs> and energy can't be slayed, but if I can let it go, if I can let it be, if I can let it transmute into something else, my fear, I think at the ending of Moana, the, the Disney movie, um, where the, I won't give away the ending, but the, the fearful bad guy, bad thing is actually looking for love and is trans transferred into something else, but it's a beautiful ending. And so I say the same thing here. Um, yes, it is better in my opinion that we decide to take on those changes before it's forced upon us, because oftentimes when it's forced upon us, that's at that level of trauma. Um, and sometimes it's from something external, like the, the story that Scott told, but oftentimes it's self-inflicted trauma. Like the reason we get divorced sometimes is because we've let fear just, just bottle up and it's ruined our relationship as opposed to facing things early on with this other person or the trauma of being fired at a job because we didn't face 
or shortcomings or leave a career, right? There's fear. And so um, I think Lori's right on. And one of the main reasons we have these transitions in life oftentimes is because we didn't face our fears and we wanted to shift beforehand. And then we have these major transitions because it got bottled up and it just exploded. I mean, when you think about energy and you think about atoms bouncing around and nuclear energy and explosion, it's literally because that energy is bottled up and then it breaks through. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see that in panic attacks. We see that in midlife crises. We see that in our adrenal glands or heart attacks or whatever the case may be. So I am a big believer as difficult as it is to really face your fear. So what are our fears? I mean, I'll just, the fear that we're, that we're too small, the fear that we may reach our potential, you know, the fear that will disappoint people in life, the fear that we will um, offend people, the fear that we're not worthy, the fear that um, there's something wrong with us. Um, All of this, which could come from a past life. It could come from programming. It come from whatever, but I think if we really focus on blockers, challenges, fears, and literally get it out on paper and just stare at it, um, issue spotting for the fellow lawyers in the room, mm-hmm. um, that then enables you to do something with it. So I think Lori is 100% right on. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, what jumps to me is like, then you can kind of control the transition you want. Mm-hmm. As opposed to having the fear force the transition onto you, what do you mean you want a divorce, Right. Then it's like, if you do it beforehand, you're proactive about it, you face the fear, you then have that ability to say, I'm going to change. Mm -hmm. This is part of my process. This is part of my adventure. Mm -hmm. I left my nearly 20 years of city government because I was having an ongoing challenge with my boss. And I also was nearing the end of the Michael Bloomberg administration and I was at a certain level and what being at that certain level meant was that when administrations changed, I probably would be fired. The situation that I had with my boss was unsustainable and I was facing in a year or so termination due to simply you know, something neutral like an administration change. But what that meant was that the thing that I was most afraid of, which was being fired and having a termination on my employment record, was something that I could either address on my own terms at a time of my choosing or wait until my head was under the guillotine and I was looking up. And I will not say that the transition into my new life wasn't full of difficulty. There's a story that I always tell about a bicycle in the sun that people say affects them that really goes as to what I endured during the darkest, darkest moment of that transition. But it still, in my perspective, from my perspective, was better than have waiting waited for the worst to happen. Because not only would I have had to deal with the transitions challenges itself, but I would have had the additional challenge of having to deal perpetually with the involuntary nature of it that immediately took it out of my hands and gave me something really negative that I would have had to explain on every interview that I went into. And in tight labor markets, being fired is something that will exclude you from consideration for the next job like that. 
And I, I, under no circumstances at that point in my life, was wet, ready to face that sort of stigma. And so I tend to agree that is one example of why it was important to face the challenge, the potential trauma before it occurred, rather than waiting for it. I just also have to say, mm-hmm. one of the things that I find interesting when people talk about fears and transition, and, and Casey, you always do that so unbelievably well. Thank you for that. You threw out a whole bunch of fears that people have, and I'm sure they're fears your clients have had. The one fear I have is one you didn't mention. And interestingly enough, the one fear that I had, that you that I, if I were to throw out all of my fears, I bet many of them are those that you would never mention either. And why do I say that? Because relating to what Lori's point is, I also suspect that an understanding of what fears we have that can be there in our universe and acknowledging those as fears puts us in the position, I feel ideally, of being able to address it. My big, all-consuming fear that interestingly, Casey, I suspect you don't have. Maybe I'm wrong, but I have it in spades, and I share that openly. You and Oleg and anyone who knows me knows it is the fear of failure. I don't fear succeeding. I don't fear any of those things that you talked about. I fear failure. And to me, I was at least during this transition able to, that I mentioned a few minutes ago, able to understand that if I didn't face, if I waited to get best case scenario to get mm-hmm. fired when Bloomberg left office, I would not only have to face that fear being actualized of failing in that position to the extent that I was being fired from it, but also having failure compound upon failure by right. having, uh, and so therefore having the rate of my fears magnified by virtue of the fact that I would have had so many more obstacles to getting another job. Yeah, And so not facing the things that we fear, the lesson I take from that is that they can compound the nature of that fear coming true. Yeah, mm-hmm. without a doubt. Yeah. And when you start really looking at your fears, it becomes ludicrous. It becomes crazy. So like one of my fears is really making it really big. I am terrified of all the work and administration and SHIT I'll need to do to run a big company or to run this or to deal. Like I'm, I'm, I'm getting overwhelmed with success. You know, like, what am I afraid of? Why am I even going there? Why am I even jumping ahead with, with all of that? Um, And then I'm going to be afraid that, you know, the, that, that someone will, um, find something on me and I, and I won't dot the I's and I won't be in compliance. And then we'll have a, you know, who cares? I'll hire a lawyer. They'll deal with it. Like, like I just, I, my biggest fear is, or one of my biggest fears. And, and that's where just the, and then I look at it and you see how ludicrous it is and you can just let it go or let it be. So. Well, and, and in that case, half the time, I just have to add as an aside, there are people who achieve great levels of, of success who seem to have no fear, even though it turns out once their, for instance, accounting practices or their ethical practices or their behaviors sexually on the job are examined a little bit, they should have been afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, but to your point, I think, I think facing the fears, you know, the transitions, it's almost like it's almost maybe this goes to the point 
when you need to endure a transition, it's because the transition happened to you. Mm-hmm. Maybe to Scott's point in his history, if you embrace transitions, like the story you told about yourself and then also about your your colleague, Scott, mm-hmm. maybe that's what he did. Maybe with just such dramatic things in his life, he embraced them and was able to have a positive attitude and or as positive as he could. And even with our smaller issues, to be able to embrace our fears, whether it's, am I going to change my lifestyle, change my job? That in many ways is, it's very hard in the beginning because you actually have to face it. But I think it makes it easier for you to actually transition through it. So my question there is, and this is coming from the book that I'm reading right now, The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. And he talks about this concept of control. And, and controlling the quote-unquote process, controlling the outcome. And the question that I have for the two of you or anyone else that's listening is how do you know what life is truly capable of if you are trying to control the experience all the time? So like what is what is that line that you draw personally when it comes to transitions? You know, do you try and control the prep work? And then just let the transition kind of show you what it's quote unquote meant to teach you. I mean, I guess even the question before that is, do either of you subscribe to that theory as far as life has its own way of teaching you certain things, Mm -hmm. or do you try and control your existence to the T so to speak? So uh, I'll go first. I think control for me, Mm -hmm. and this may be controversial, but I think control for me is rooted in fear is rooted in insecurity. We want to control things. And I feel that if you want to see what, I forget the the word you used, you know, what has in store with the potential for life or, you know, what What life is capable of, what life is capable of. We don't know what life is capable of. Mm -hmm. And if we could, if we insist on controlling things, then our limits our narrative, our guardrails, our sandbox, our borders, however you want to look at it, are that becomes what we're capable of. And we all know that life is is limitless. You know, the the observer, the the that 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 energy, that observer that that never transitions, um, is is infinity, is unified, is in integrity comes from, you know, integral, right? And so all of that is beyond our comprehension. So I think the best way to understand what's capable in life is to trust it and to not control it. Now, I think there's a certain level of control in our actions and, you know, I want to be in this industry. I want to do this. Sure. There's certain things we can control and act on, but I think if we really want to see what life is, is capable of, we have to um, trust it and really understand that when we set limits on life, we're not seeing what is capable of, and we're not really seeing what's capable, what we're capable of. Mm-hmm. Can you clarify the observer part? It, is it the, as you were mentioning, whoever is experiencing as far as the source goes, like whatever the source that's so experiencing life? If we clo- yeah, if we close our eyes right now. So if we all close our eyes right now, and if we say Frappuccino in our, say it in your head, don't say it out loud, right? Okay, so that thought, that we said silently in our mind, Frappuccino, mm-hmm. who heard it? Ole, who heard it? Uh, probably the Starbucks next right. to me. But when you said it in your head, who heard it? 
I would say self, soul. Okay, who said it? I did, inner voice. So you're subject and object. You mm -hmm. said it and you heard it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so when we do that, because a thought is literally us saying something in our mind, mm -hmm. not in our, we think people walking down the street talking to themselves are crazy. We stay away mm -hmm. from them, but that's what we're doing all the time in our head. We're all crazy. <laughs> so the reason that little exercise is to show is that someone, someone said Frappuccino in your mind quietly. That's mm -hmm. you, Oleg. That's your mind. It's yourself. Mm -hmm. Someone heard it also. The one that heard it is the observer. Mm. That's yeah. the true you. That's God. That's karma. That's not karma, but that's God. That's the source. That's the soul. That's the Atman in Hindu. That's the soul in Judeo-Christian background, right? So that never changes. That's observing. So when you are sitting there saying, oh my God, I'm a failure. I can't believe I didn't do this. It's just like saying Frappuccino in your mind. Mm -hmm. Someone is, that's not you. You're not your thoughts. Someone is observing it and that is the true you. So the observer is observing thoughts. And that's why if we can have one foot in the mystical, if we can always tap into the observer, while at the same time, we can always tap, understand that we're here in real life and we're having these thoughts because otherwise what happens is we become our thoughts. And I'll tell you, I do not want to become my thoughts hundred mm percent -hmm. at all. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that is, that's the, uh, that's the observer. Jessica's remark just thoughts. spoke for me, by the way. Sorry about that. <laughs> she, she really did. <laughs> this is making my head go in so many directions. I feel like you need to follow. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, so, yeah. So that's what I try to tap into is to that quiet. Now that quiet observer voice is boring. Nothing happens. Mm -hmm. Doesn't really act. Is quiet. Doesn't have emotions. That's the process. And I don't really like going there that much because it's just quiet. What It's boring. What am I going to do? Mm -hmm. But it's peaceful and it's joyful and it's aligned and it's quiet and it's confident. So. And I think if anything else, I just understanding how to transition between the different phases, at least for me, it, it's been important. Understanding that what you had mentioned as far as I'm not my thoughts. I mean, I, I think of some crazy, um, I think some, I think of some pretty fascinating scenarios, you know, world ending and stuff like that. So I, I hope I'm not my thoughts because. <laughs> right. But think of, Michael Singer talks about this. Think you, you've got your five senses. Yeah. Five senses mm -hmm. plus thoughts and emotions. If you stick in that, you're in the movie. That's our movie. What what all Michael Singer and all the sages are saying is just realize eight over here. Mm -hmm. The self, the observer is observing all of this. Oh, that tastes well. Oh, that smells good. Oh, you mm -hmm. had that thought. Okay. When you can get out of those seven modalities that the world we're in, if you can just step back from it, that's the objective observer. Mm -hmm. That is fascinating. Religious people might call that the kingdom of heaven. Um, you know, Hindus might say that's where Nirvana is. You know, everyone had that's where the soul is. 
that's source. I think we all have different names for for really the the same thing. Yeah. The zone athletes talk about being in the zone. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not thinking. Wow. You're not thinking. The flow. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking. You, you don't even smell things. You don't eat. You're not hungry. Hmm. What are some ways that people can connect with you in case they are wanting to transition from this show onto another or onto another platform? And I'll start with you, Scott. Purposehighway.com. That is the homepage for my podcast. You can also find out more about me as a speaker through the links on that page. The subject of the podcast is the creation of a new movement for those seeking meaning. And by meaning, I mean purpose, spirituality, and ethics in a world in which the historical institutions that have enabled people to feel connection in that search for meaning are going through transitions of their own. I'll just Mm -hmm. put it that way. Powerful guests, powerful conversations, mind bending, personal in scope, universal. I would even say cosmic in scale. That's amazing. Casey? LeaveLawBehind.com. I'm a former attorney like Scott is, and I help attorneys who are unhappy and want to leave the legal industry. I help them uh, transition to a non-law alternative career that um, they love or good at and pays them well. I appreciate the two of you for being a part of this show and everything that you bring every single time. It's, it's never a dull moment. It's always full of excitement. And I think that everyone else that also chooses to tune in Lori, Jessica, and so many others and the insights that people bring to this conversation. I mean, it just, it makes it um, so powerful (laughs) because I think it, for me, at least it exceeds all of my expectations of anywhere that I think a conversation could go. So I just, I want to applaud everyone for being a part of it. And for those that continue to show up, um, if you would Mm -hmm. consider supporting our work through the two ways that I mentioned below, either contributing to our cause or leaving us a review, uh, that would help us tremendously. And just on top of that, want to thank the two of you for being a part of it, because it's, like I said, the space would not be the same if the two of you wouldn't be in the same room as I am as well as thank you for having us thank you I'm honored thank you all for listening to today's episode I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did if you haven't done so already please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content also if you like what you heard consider leaving us a review on iTunes Facebook or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.